Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. I am your host, Andre Degler, reporting from Amsterdam. Today, I have put together another interview special episode. It consists of two interviews uh, with uh, startup founders, one in the health tech space and the other in uh, business travel. So before I dive in, I also would like to reiterate a little bit on the new thing that we are running on Tech.eu, and this is a topic-focused month. So in May, we are shining a light on the industry of digital health, supported by uh, Bayer G4A, a global startup program recently launched by one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. So you will see and hear more health-related stories and interviews in the coming weeks, starting right now. So first up uh, in our interview special, is Guido Morgan, the founder of Tayacare. Let's dive in. Hey, Robin Walters here for Tech.eu. I'm still at the EU Startup Summit here in Barcelona. As uh, many of our listeners and readers will know, we have uh, our Digital Health Month going on in partnership with uh, Bayer uh, G4A, a grant for apps. And in that context, I thought it was uh, very interesting to see a startup here um, participating in the pitching competition, the only one, I think, in the digital healthcare space. So I'm excited to sit down uh, with Guido Margin, who's like the founder and uh, CEO of a company called Teacare, based in Milano. And Guido is going to explain to us uh, what Teacare does. So um, hello, and thanks for having me. Teacare is a digital health company, of course. We are based in Milan, and um, our mission is to solve the problem of inefficient monitoring and caregivers being overwhelmed in nursing homes. We started from my personal experience of my grandfather going through two years of staying in a nursing home and developing severe complications because nurses didn't have enough time to look after him. And after looking closely at the matters, uh, this could uh, be basically approximated to uh, three main problems. There is a huge shortage of caregivers, so even if they try their best, they can't be there all the time with, with him. There is too much paperwork, which steals them too much time. They need to focus on, on the care, not on the paper, but... Uh, basically, that's that's the theory, and the reality is is not that yet. And there is the problem with the workflow. So the workflow is very inefficient, and uh, they usually repeat action on the do a lot of useless stuff that can be avoided. And uh, this translates into the story of my grandfather, which basically is falling and developing bad sores, and which translates for and is a high cost for the nursing home, high cost of management and also a pain for the family, for the patient, and also in legal issues. Yeah, so that's a very, very clear, clearly defined problem that I think uh, is also global. Uh, it exists everywhere. That's uh, sort of a, in terms of market that it makes is. it interesting. But then how do you solve that? What's, uh, what did you come up with in terms of solution? Uh, so the solution to this problem is a digital assistant, what we like to call a digital assistant uh, for long-term care. And long-term care yeah, is basically the elderly care sector in Europe. And uh, this digital assistant is uh, basically a CCTV camera off the shelf, which is powered by our algorithms, uh, computer vision and machine learning algorithms. And uh, these algorithms are able to tell 
risky behaviors and to notify the closest caregiver about problems. Uh, we provide, for instance, alerts if a fragile patient is trying to leave his bed unattended and could fall, or if another patient, uh, but in a nursing home, I should talk about residents, not patients, or if another resident uh, hasn't been moved in the bed for a while, we can distinguish eight different positions. We can uh, say, okay, please move the resident or please don't move the resident. So you avoid time if, it's, if it is not needed, you save the time and to prevent bed sores. So is this all camera based? So it's not like you have a device that you give the residents or that's something attached to their beds or whatever. It's completely focused on, on the camera resolution. Yes, exactly. It's completely contactless, which is the main competitive advantage because as a startup, we don't need to make any hardware, which is a huge advantage. And for the client, it's a huge advantage that they don't waste time because, okay, else it becomes that I save time on something, but I require them to do other activities. In my case, it's completely seamless. It's completely transparent. It's just there and it will monitor the resident when needed. And uh, we um, provide also a reporting part. Uh, so there is a physical part, a paper part that they can print. Uh, today, they have to go through a lot of filing, a lot of paperwork. We do that paperwork for them, basically through our solution. We can save up 98% of the time of the paperwork, which translates in a lot of, lot of saving. That's crazy. That's uh, And it's also like a more of an end-to-end solution that you can uh, pitch uh, to them. But how do you even start with that because obviously you have this this personal uh, story and it leads you to develop this company but then you need to go to these nursing homes and and sell a product like how how's that been so far uh, so nursing homes aren't the most innovative uh, mm-hmm. markets. Uh, in fact, they've been stuck to the same practices for the past 60 years or more. The way to go to them is first as a startup, find the early adopters. First, at the beginning, you are fine with that 1% of the market that can see beyond your solution that still needs improvement and everything. But we are already generating metrics. So basically we go to them and say, hey, we can save a lot of time on that. We can save unnecessary procedures. We can provide a better quality of service overall and save you money in the process. And we, as a part of the business model, we introduce our solution with a one or two days on-site audit. So we go there and basically review their practices. Okay. We say, okay, this is, this is not done well. We can do, you can do much better with our solution. And then, of course, you bring them the product and the, uh, the outline right now is that we can save up to 100k uh, euros per, per, um, for every 20 beds where our solution is provided. So it's a huge economic value for them. Yeah, yeah. and aside from the cost saving, of course, there's the, the increase in efficiency improvement and staff being able to work on what they actually are meant to do. So I can see the value. I can also see the potential because this is literally not something that is only for the Italian market, of course. Um, but how soon do you think you'll be ready to you know, start selling this across the border? So we are in talks with international partners. Uh, we are a startup, so we are starting from the Italian market for obvious reason, as that we need to focus. And we, we are still have a small team, but uh, we are uh, fundraising more, hiring more, and finding good partners, such as Entity Data uh, is supporting us to discover Japan and US. We have uh, partners that are helping us here in Spain, but also France, Germany, Finland, we are exploring opportunities and we are trying to understand when it's best to catch them because they are there. We just need to be sure that we get there when we're really ready. Exactly. Um, you mentioned fundraising more. That means you've already uh, raised a small uh, round of funding, I assume. So what's the status there? Yeah. So we raised uh, in total last year uh, 400K in uh, for, from angels and grants. 
And this year we are raising an additional 800k uh, to support our growth. We are halfway there, meaning that we have around 500,000 committed. One potentially one angel was found also here at the conference today. Great. And we are seeking exceptional entrepreneurs that help us in understanding how we build, how we are meant to build the company. And on the other hand, also navigated uh, VCs who know about the healthcare space. And on this right now, we have one Spanish VC uh, focused on health tech that is supporting already a lot. Fantastic. Um, do you have any uh, metrics that you can share already in terms of traction when you talk to investors? So we are at a very early stage for metrics, but basically more than the cost saving we already talked about, we uh, are currently active on our first nursing home. It's our first pilot project that started this year in January. Uh, we are starting another five pilots this year in the next few months. Uh, we expect to reach at least 150 beds by the end of the year and our first 100,000 euros in contracts. We're in a space that um, is slower at the beginning rather than a digit traditional digital company but can uh, the advantage we bring to the table is that the contracts in the space are five to ten years contracts. So once I have a customer, basically I forever have a customer, yeah. at least as a startup. And in your research, do you uh, did you come across uh, competitors that you think you know might be able to be a threat to your business, or is what you're doing unique enough to sort of uh, you know cast your own path? So the, the, the market is big enough right now not to be afraid of competitors. Of course, there are. It's a good, it's a good measure that the market exists. We see that uh, many startups are trying to build their own hardware for this, which is very expensive and not scalable at all. Uh, I mean, our, the camera we use, we can get them in stocks for 50 euros for each camera. So basically the hardware is very cheap for us. When it comes to competitors, they have to manufacture their hardware probably in China or somewhere else, and then do the assembly of the of all the pieces, do the quality tests. And then when you enter a new market, you need to do this all over again. If you go to Japan, you need to test your device under the uh, electrical uh, parameters that are different. The electrical right. uh, is different, just that. So um, we feel we are in a good position to raise capital fast and scale fast and get uh, a market leader position in a few years. Fantastic. And we'll keep an eye on you for sure. Uh, maybe final question more about Milan as an ecosystem where you're based. Uh, I know you're still starting out, but what do you think about uh, the local ecosystem? And do you feel that you have a lot of support from the investors and also the other entrepreneurs and the, the government maybe? I think Italy is not the easiest place right now to start a startup in Europe. This said, uh, it's one of the most promising countries uh, for elderly care. Uh, that's one of the oldest countries in Europe. Anyway, I think Germany is slightly older from median age, but Italy is right behind. So uh, it's a very promising place to start um, from because it has one of the biggest problems of aging. Uh, for the ecosystem itself, I believe that we're building it. We are close to the first generation of startup entrepreneurs that there is a lot of family business uh, which doesn't really believe into these new businesses so the support is limited but it's not impossible to find capital it's very difficult just to find the right investors so there are a lot not experienced investors and it took time for us to really find the right guys so it's more a matter again of find the right guys rather than finding investors at all you, you find investors all over the place but they are not expert enough and then uh, it's like a marriage so when investing in you so you have to be very careful 
Fantastic. Um, you didn't win the startup competition at the EU Startup Summit today, uh, but I think you already got a commitment from an angel and you got an interview from us. So that's already a bit of a win. So thank you so much for your time and best of luck with Tecker. Thank you. Now, this is a great start for today's episode. And uh, let's move on to the second interview to hear from a startup that works in a totally different industry. Our next guest is Ivy Mayer, uh, co-founder and CEO of Travel Perk. That's a business travel booking platform founded in Spain. Hey, Robin Walters here uh, for Tech.eu, and I'm here in Barcelona for the EU Startups Summit, and I'm sitting down with Avi Meyer, who's uh, the co-founder and CEO of uh, Travel Perk, uh, one of the uh, local scale-ups, I can guess you can call it. Um, maybe for the uninitiated, uh, what is Travel Perk? Hi, so uh, Travel Perk is a business travel platform. So what we do is we help your company uh, book and manage the travel. We provide all-in-one platform where you can book your flights, hotels, car rentals, trains, and 24-7 uh, in-house support right from here in Barcelona. So a great inventory, great product, and great support that comes with it. Great. So walk us uh, maybe through the, the history of the company. Uh, how did you end up in Barcelona in the first place? And why did you start the company? Yeah, so I'm from Israel, actually, originally. And I moved here 10 years ago, initially to study and then kind of stuck around. It's great to live, uh, as, as you and I, Robin, just, just talked about. Um, so I'm here for personal reasons. And then we decided to create the company. Four years ago, uh, I, I was actually at Booking.com before. I had sold my, my previous startup, uh, Hotel Ninjas, to Booking.com and then uh, stayed with Booking and left uh, to create Travel Perk. And the idea behind it was basically, let's fix business travel. It's completely broken. It's probably like 15 years behind leisure travel, so we can do something about it. Yeah. And I mean, travel industry is notoriously hard uh, not to crack for startups. Um, and ha having worked at Booking and also having sold a startup to Booking.com, um, you know this firsthand and you still went back and started another travel uh, tech company. So I, I guess we can call you a very brave man. Uh, but is it, was it as difficult as you, you imagined? Uh, or was it not the initial idea that you started with actually? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can call me very brave or very stupid, I guess. So that's the two things. <laughs> the jury's still yeah, out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my wife would, would have a strong opinion about one of them. Um, no, but, but seriously, uh, it's, it's, yes, travel is, is difficult. The thing is with travel, it's very difficult, especially in the leisure side, because you have to fight against, um, you know, huge, huge, uh, already winners, right? You have to fight against Booking.com, who is a hundred billion dollar beast. You have to fight against Expedia, against uh, Airbnb. Um, and specifically, I mean fight in the sense of trying to get users to come to your website. So you have to fight on Google AdWords and, and other uh, paid ad platforms. So that's actually the biggest problem in, in leisure travel is how do you get people to use your, your product? And you see many companies in leisure travel having great product, but zero traction because of that. So the product uh, by itself doesn't really get you any, anywhere in travel. And that's one of the biggest things about it, the, the biggest problems about it. Now, what we do is, is business travel. It's a B2B platform, which is awesome because then we don't have to fight against Booking.com and others on Google AdWords. We can actually do a SaaS, like software as a service, uh, like sales uh, process. We can have marketing and sales and go and meet customers like you sell software today, uh, basically, which is a very unique way of selling travel, uh, especially if it's a tech product and, and targeted at SMEs. So that's kind of the first thing that kind of allows us to go um, you know, faster and without as much of a problem. And then the second point I would say is that we just have a really, really good team uh, and a lot of experience around travel. So, for example, my CTO and VP Engineering both come from, uh, for example, my CTO and SVP Engineering both come from uh, Skyscanner, which is, uh, as you all know, a very successful company. And they're very senior engineering managers there. So a big part of the problem in travel is, is how do you get the inventory? How do you get all the flights, the best prices? How do you sell it? It's actually a pretty complex problem to solve technically. 
and having people with the experience, many, many years of experience in the team definitely helps. Absolutely. And you just mentioned to me, you have 260 people in the team now. So that's a real uh, company that's scaling now. You've also raised, um, I think you said uh, up to $75 million at this point. Um, so how big can, can this get? When I speak with one of my investors, Alex from, from Spark Capital in Boston, I spoke with him about the same uh, point and, and I asked him, you know, when he, before he invested, how, how big do you think this, this thing can be? And he said something I liked. He said, uh, as an investor, I look at, at the risks. You know, I look at, uh, for example, market risk. Is the market ready for what you're building? Or uh, business model risk. You know, are you trying to innovate in business model and nobody still uh, has proven it? Or team risk. Or, you know, and you can have like, probably can uh, this, uh, list uh, tens, if not hundreds of risks you know, that, that investors could or should look at. And he said, for me in, in travel park and business travel, the biggest risk is execution and probably the only one. Meaning that the market is definitely ready for our solution, our kind of solution. There is a way to make money in travel. Everybody knows that, that you know, if you sell a flight you, for X, you can make Y out of it. So the business model by itself is pretty clear. The timing is great. The, the team is, as I mentioned before, is amazing. So the potential is huge and the risk is, um, you know, can we build fast enough? Can we build a great product? Can we hire the right people? Can we get the right customers fast enough, et cetera, which is all internal, which is great because then you can control it and you can actually influence it. Uh, but we're talking about the $1.5 trillion market business travel globally. Just Europe is $300 billion, uh, spent every year. So let's say, you know, the addressable revenue out of it might, you know, be in the 20% range. So that's a huge, huge market. So, you know, if you build something good and you, can, and, and you get a bit lucky, then you can build a huge business here. Yeah, really looking forward to see uh, how big you can get. Um, um, from, a, from a use case perspective, because obviously I own my own business, I travel a lot for, for business, but it's also mostly me in the company. At what point does it become interesting for a small business that has um, travel sort of as part of its DNA to use Travel Perk? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, you know, initially as an Israeli who, who, uh, you know, I, it's tough for me. And I think it's, it's because I'm Israeli. I'm actually not sure yeah. why, but I, it's tough for me to say no to customers. Initially, we said yes to everybody, you know, one person kind of, you know, uh, consultant, uh, for example, freelance. We said yes. And a huge company, uh, with in 20,000 travelers, we also said yes. And then we slowly realized, um, that we are really, really helpful and adding a ton of value. For companies that are, have something like on the low end, 10 travelers uh, would be the lowest that we are, we're adding real value to and up to, uh, you know, your 10, 15,000 travelers. Uh, so that's, it's a big range, but it's actually excludes a big part of, of, mm -hmm. of the traveling population because a lot of travelers are one man or one woman show, like almost like yourself in mm -hmm. a sense of the traveling in your company. And then we add value, but I would argue that, um, you know, we are not focused as much on, on this segment. And then um, on the higher end, we are definitely excluding companies, you know, like Coca-Cola, right? With like tens of and thousands of uh, tens of thousands of travelers, we don't add as much value today to these companies, but we are definitely adding a ton of value to anybody in between. So if you have more than ten travelers and less than uh, the few thousand travelers, uh, that's where that's where we definitely excel. Great, that's a very clear answer. Um, you talked about the consumerization of enterprise technology on stage. Your title was really interesting because you focus a lot at Travel Perk on the user experience and making it really sort of like a B2C product, even though it is targeted uh, to B2B. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on that for those who weren't here? Yeah, sure. So it's, this is my, my, my theory here. I don't know if it's mine, but it's the theory I, I, I use. I, probably as many theories I have, I, I read it somewhere. <laughs> 
I think that many enterprise software verticals are moving now to uh, more and more uh, feel and look like a consumer tool. And the poster child for that is, of course, Slack, right? I mean, you used to have Lotus 123, which uh, was your communication tool in the company back in 1999, uh, 1992. Uh, you know, I still remember it, uh, mm -hmm. using it uh, back in the day. Uh, it was a good tool and you sell it to CIO and, and, um, and you are, you have to use it as, as a, as a user, but you're not excited about it. And it's just, it's a work tool, you know, like nobody's excited about SAP. It's just, you have to use it, but you're not excited about it. And then Slack comes and suddenly everybody's excited about enterprise communication tool because it feels and it is a consumer product in essence. And this shift is happening in many verticals and we're definitely leading that in business travel. So our tool is not an enterprise software tool. We are rarely selling it only, uh, and only caring about let's say, the CFO of a company. The CFO is definitely a stakeholder. It's definitely a persona we're solving for. They're user of the platform because they get access to the data. They get access to the dashboards, seeing how people uh, travel. Uh, do they comply with policy or not? So the CFO is definitely an important stakeholder in, in, in our ecosystem. But the travelers play a huge role. And, and if the travelers are not happy, we will not stay around with the company. So that's why we have to think about it as a consumer travel, almost a consumer travel product, for the business travelers and the SaaS or, or have this, this reporting and dashboard available as well for, for the CFO and admin of the company. Great. Uh, great answer. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Barcelona just to conclude the interview because I moved here, uh, I think it was about six years ago. I was here for, for a couple of months talking to all the startups and investors while I was living here, of course. And I, I remember being extremely bullish about the ecosystem saying, you know, good things are going to happen. And then it didn't really pan out for a number of years, but the last two years have really seen a lot of change. I mean, Glovo just raised a big round. There's you. Uh, and it's not just in Barcelona. It's all of Spain, you know, the Cabify and Wallapop and all that. Um, from an insider perspective, because you've been here long enough. Um, how do you look at the, the Barcelona startup ecosystem and how do you think it will evolve? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I have to say, like, the caveat is I'm not, I don't think I'm knowledgeable enough about, about it because I, I try to spend most of the day just in the office, you know, building and selling and, and, and working with the team. So I might not see all the startups that, are, that exist. But as you mentioned, there are a few that already are very successful or on the path of being successful um, and have great potential. And I think two things changed significantly in the past few years that made this, this possible. First being that you have a new generation of, of risk takers, of entrepreneurs. And you see that uh, with Carlos in, in, in Buddy, you see that uh, with Oscar in, in Glovo um, and many other great companies here. Um, you really have a generation of 20-something euros. Both of them are, are very young that are very bold, that are happy to take the risk and are really shooting for global success. And this is unlike some of the previous kind of local successes that Barcelona had, because let's remember, Barcelona, as like many cities, always, always had, you know, internet companies, but they were very local successes. Uh, they were not global and they were not really uh, growing outside of Spain and definitely not, not outside of Europe. And this new generation definitely wants to take the risk and wants to build something global. And it's a shift of mind and mindset that you see now in, in this new generation. And I think it's, it's great. Uh, maybe also there's something about the social environment change in a sense that Risk-taking is more encouraged, maybe in a, in a crisis, uh, post-crisis period. Families are okay with, with their kids going and, and taking a bit more risk because the alternative doesn't exist. So maybe some things around the crisis also help, but definitely you see this new generation of, of young entrepreneurs who want to build uh, global businesses coming up. And then second point is just funding, right? So you have more and more of great investors. We raised 75 million, as, as you mentioned. None of it was from Spanish investors. And, and great, there are great Spanish investors. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against them. Uh, we chose to work with more um, global-facing uh, investors, those who want the company to be successful globally and, and build something big. 
And we found these in partners um, in Berlin, in Tel Aviv, in London, in, in Boston. And this, all of these non-Spanish investors now start to look and started to look recently at Spain as a target for, mm. for their, for their cap capital. So you see this also coming into play. A lot of international investors now come regularly to the city and, and look around and, and try to find great companies. So I think this is the, kind of the mix that happened. Fantastic and great to see. Now, very final question. Um, I don't want to ask you where do you see Travel Perk in five to 10 years. I'm just going to ask you where do you see it next year? Yeah, so next year will be uh, even more of a, of a European uh, champion. So our focus is definitely on Europe and European companies. We just recently opened our London uh, office and, and a Berlin office. And I think next year you'll see more of this. So uh, we'll be more and more local. A big part of how we, we look at, at winning in this market is being very relevant in a local uh, environment. Travel is, is a weird beast that needs to be very relevant locally, but also, of course, globally, because your travelers go anywhere uh, in the world. So you'll see us more and more uh, closer to the ground in, in, in major European cities. And maybe you'll see us outside of Europe. That's also uh, always an option. Great. Fantastic. Avi, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with Travel Park. Thank you very much. Great to meet you. And this is it for today's podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. If you are listening on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Tell a friend or colleague about the podcast and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That's sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email me with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at andri at tech.eu. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you real soon. Bye-bye.